How many of you know that tune? Anybody know that tune? Anybody? That's a tune from rapper and theologian Lecrae called Church Clap. And in that song, Lecrae raps about some of the blessings of being a part of God's church. And long before Lecrae and his lyrics about the local church, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wrote some celebratory lyrics concerning the local church. And we find those in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 through 8. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. I'm going to read through verse 8, and then we'll unpack this section of Colossians together in a message called Church Clap. So look at verse 3, and that's where we'll begin in reading. So if you're there, say I'm there. Here's what the Bible says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. May God, our Father in heaven, be honored and praised by the reading and the receiving and the response to his word. And God's people said, all right, church, look, here's the main idea, the big idea of of this text of Colossians 1. You see it in verse 3. It's really clear that Paul is thankful to God Uh, for the Colossian believers. So this is the way I've worded our takeaway today. Thank our Father in heaven for his church on earth. We need to be thankful to our God in heaven for his church on earth. And what Paul does in verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, he gives us at least five reasons to be thankful to God in heaven for his church on earth. So I want to run through those in a moment. Thank our God in heaven for his church on earth. So try this. The next time you pray, don't ask God for anything. The next time you pray to God, don't treat it like a Google search. Right? Just say thank you for your church. Try that next time. Because here's the question you're going to have to wrestle with in 2022. Who are you going to allow in your ear this year? Whoever you allow in your ear will determine your year. Who are you going to listen to in 2022? If you listen to the wrong person, if you listen to the wrong people, listening to the wrong person and or people will have you accusing God, blaming God, canceling God, cursing God. Listening to the wrong people or person this year will have you doubting God, 
finding fault with God, giving a talking to to God, holding God responsible, ignoring God, maligning God, lying about God, listening to the wrong person this year will have you neglecting God, overlooking God, paying no attention to God, questioning God, rejecting God, shaking your fist at God. But if you listen to the right person, if you listen to the right word, it will cause you to thank God. So listen to the right person and the right people and you'll be thanking God and not accusing or canceling Him. So Paul is thankful. In Colossians 1, he tells us why in verses 4 through 8. Five reasons why he's thankful to God, his, our Father, for His church on earth. Number one, because the church are made up of the people in whom faith in Christ abides. That's the first reason Paul is thankful to our God in heaven for his church on earth. Because the church are people in whom faith in Christ abides. Faith in Christ dwells. Faith in Christ rules in the heart and the life of a believer. In the heart and the life of the people who are the church. You know, I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven as a believer in Christ, when I get there, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And when I get to heaven, I want to hear these words. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody want to hear those words? I want the Lord Jesus to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear the words, well, you're done. No, no, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful. I I want my faith in Christ to cause me to remain faithful. And Paul takes note of their faith in Christ. And he's thanking God, our Father in heaven, for the faith in Christ he sees in the church, in these believers in Colossae. And look how Paul says it. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now Paul is writing this letter for a reason. And he's writing this letter because there's false teachers teaching false teachings. But he's writing this so so that the church, these Colossian believers, can remain faithful, ignoring this fake news and holding on to the truth. And he's going to deal with the false teachers, and he's going to deal with the false teachings. He's going to deal with the fact that these false teachers are teaching that God is good, but His creation is evil. Well, if you read Genesis 1, it's pretty clear. After the creation of each day, and God saw that it was evil or good? Good. So, you know they're teaching false teachings. Because they believed all matter and creation was evil, and God alone is good, which God alone is good, but they took it a step further and said, Christ could not have put on flesh. Christ could have not put on a human body because it's evil. And so they view Jesus as some ghost-like phantom, as like the superior, the highest of angels. And what they denied was his humanity and his deity. That's why Paul writes in this letter that in Christ, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells. That's why he wrote that, to combat the false teachers. The false teachers were claiming... Uh, that they had to have some knowledge outside of Christ, that they had to have knowledge above and beyond Jesus to be saved. That's why Paul wrote, in Christ in Him are hidden all. Somebody say all. 
All wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ alone. That's why Paul wrote that, to combat these false teachings. They had all these to-do lists. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do that, you have to do this to be saved. These are necessary for salvation. That's why Paul writes this in Colossians. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. For the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul's going to deal with all the false teachings and all their and all the false teachers. But first, what he does in this letter is he focuses on the truth. He hones in on the truth. He hones in on the gospel. And he starts with their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, you and I exercise simple faith. You might call it common faith all the time. You're exercising simple faith right now. I don't see anybody that is in any way frightened or worried about the ceiling collapsing on us today. Right? Why? Because you're putting simple faith in the engineers and the builders of this building. You're you're, you're believing it's going to hold up or you wouldn't be sitting in here. Right? You practice this simple faith every day, thousands of times every day. But what is it that takes simple faith and transforms it into saving faith? Paul says it's this. It's faith in Christ Jesus. Verse number four, faith in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing magical about this. Faith in Jesus is faith that saves. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior. That's why. It's just that simple. The jailer in Philippi asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did they say? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In other words, believe in the Savior and you will be saved. Because with the Savior comes salvation. And Jesus, we learn early in the Gospels, is the one who came to save his people from their sins. So faith in Jesus is faith that saves because, and only because, Jesus is the Savior. You ever wonder why the Bible teaches that faith the size of a mustard seed is all God's looking for? I mean, that's not a whole lot of faith, church, is it? Faith like a child, that's not a whole lot of faith. That little bit of faith that, why is is that all that God is looking for? At least initially. Let me say it like this. The amount of faith, to begin with, is unimportant. The amount of faith is unimportant. The object of our faith is what is important. He says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Not we've heard of your faith in anything and everything, but we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. You see, faith in the wrong person or wrong thing is worse than no faith at all. John Phillips said it like this. There's more hope for doubting Thomas than there is for duped Judas. Why? Because doubting Thomas, although he's doubting, 
He's putting his faith in Jesus. Duped Judas, put his faith in Judas. Huge difference. The object of our faith. In other words, there's more hope for a person who has point zero 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 one percent of faith in Christ than the person who has a hundred percent of faith in any and everything else. It's the object of our faith, not the amount of our faith that matters. The object. Paul says, you put your faith in Christ, and I'm thankful to God our Father in heaven because I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. You say, well, I just don't know if I have enough faith. You know what you're doing when you make that statement? You're putting your faith in your faith. You're putting your faith in the feelings you have about your faith. Paul is commending these believers not for their faith in their faith, not for their faith in feelings about their faith. He's commending them for their faith in Christ Jesus, in Messiah, in Anointed One, in the Promised One, the Savior of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When you put your faith in the One who died in your place, who shed His blood to forgive you of your sin. Yes, and though he died, you put your faith in the fact that he's been raised from the dead, which is our receipt proving that he alone has authority on earth to forgive sin. And you put your faith in him and in him alone, and you will be saved. Faith in Christ Jesus. The year was 1859. It was the summer of that year. Charles Blondin walked across a tightrope that extended from U.S. to Canada over the Niagara Falls. The crowd oohed and awed as they watched him walk across. Then they watched him walk across in a sack. Then they watched him walk across on stilts. Then they watched him bicycle across. Then they watched him carry a, a, a stove on his back, get to the middle of the wire, sit down, cook himself an omelet, and eat it. Then he walked across backwards. Then he walked across pushing a wheelbarrow. Then he blindfolded himself and walked across pushing the wheelbarrow. And the crowd's going nuts, ooing and on and cheering him on. And Then he asked the question, Do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? And the crowd said, Yes, of course. We believe, we believe, we believe. They shouted, We believe, we believe. And cheered and ooed and on. And then he asked the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow? Crickets. Silence. No one got in. Church, there, there's a huge difference between being in the crowd and being in the wheelbarrow. Many of you are in the crowd. But only a few are in the wheelbarrow. That's, that's what Jesus says. Many go down the broad road. Many find the road that leads to destruction. and Only a few find the narrow road to life. Only a few are going to get in the wheelbarrow. Are you in the wheelbarrow? I can't answer that for you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But it's the only way you can be saved. It's the only way that you can experience grace and peace that Paul talks about in verse 2. The only way is in Christ. God cannot. It is impossible. 
for God to give you grace and peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. It's impossible for him to give it to you if he doesn't give it to you in Christ Jesus. He cannot do it any other way. Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. Are you in him or are you in religion about him? Are you in Christ or are you just in the, uh, the, 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 the ways we do church and everything surrounding church? Or are you in Christ? That's a question you have to answer. Paul is thankful for the church, thankful to God for church, not because of their faith in religion, not because of their faith in things about Christ, but because of their faith in Christ. Are you in Christ? Second reason Paul's thankful is for the love that they had for all the saints, is how Paul says it. So love is alive. This is the second reason Paul is thankful to God for his church, because the church are the people in whom love is alive. You know love is a verb. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this love, and it, it rejoices that this love hopes that this love bears all things and hopes all things. That, that's, that's verbs. It's an action. It's an active word. Something that we do. We, we love one another unconditionally, expecting nothing in return. It's agape love. Paul says, I'm so thankful for you. Why? Because I've heard of your faith in Christ and I've heard of your love for all the saints. You know, you don't see that a lot in the world, do you? Love for everybody. Not a lot of love out there. I read someone <laughs> said, Twitter makes me hate liberals. Facebook makes me hate conservatives. Instagram makes me hate myself. A lot of hate going on out there. But Paul looked at the church, and he heard of their love for one another. Love for all the saints. Genuine faith does not operate in a vacuum. It, it expresses itself. Yes, we're saved through faith alone. Of course we are. But once saved, faith is never alone. Love will accompany it. Love is the proof of our genuine faith. Visible love is the proof of our genuine faith faith well how do we do that well John tells us in first John we love because he first loved us amen if anyone says he loves God but hates his brother he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen and this commandment we have from him listen to this whoever loves God must also love his brother and then Jesus said it this way this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. How? Your love for one another. This is proof that you belong to me, that you love one another. Do you know that we can be kind to one another? Do you know that's possible? That we can disagree and be kind to each other? How, how many of you know that? You know we don't have to agree on everything and we can still be kind to one another? Jesus was kind to people he disagreed with. He, he loved everybody. And this love is inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's for all the saints. Not some of them. Not those that are lovely. Not those that are lovable. 
but even those that are unlovely and dubbed unlovable, even those that are hard to love. We're to love all the saints. Jesus loved everybody. God so loved the world, he loved them all. See, Jesus loved Ananias just as much as he loved Andrew. And he loved Barabbas and Bartimaeus just as much as he loved Bartholomew. And he loved Caiaphas just as much as he loved Cornelius. He loved his brother James just as much as he loved his disciple James. He loved Saul just as much as he loved Simon. He loved Judas just as much as he loved John. He loved the rebellious thief on the cross just as much as he loved the repentant thief on the cross. He loved them all. For all the saints, even those difficult, hard-to-love saints, Chuck Lawless has a list of members that may be hard to love. Uh, One of them is a doom and gloom member. Nothing's ever right. Something's always wrong. It's never their fault. We're to love that saint. We're to love the amateur theologian saint. Think they know everything about theology. We're to love the did-you-know member who always has to be in the know. We're to love the recommitment member who recommits, appears, disappears, appears, disappears, appears, disappears. Love all the saints, regardless of how unlovable he or she might be or how unlovely he or she might be. Listen, dunking on Christians on social media is not a spiritual gift. It's not. Love one another. We have a common enemy. Yes, we do. But it's not each other. (laughs) We're not our enemy. So love each other. Serve each other. Forgive each other. Go out of your way to love one another. I I read last week about a pastor, Peter Miller, Baptist pastor. Lived during the American Revolution. His dear friend was General George Washington. He had a nemesis that lived close to him, this pastor did, named Michael Whitman. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to death. So this pastor, Pastor Miller, he decided he was going to make the 70-foot, or 70, rather 70-mile trek on foot to see his dear friend, General Washington, and plead for his enemy's life. And so he makes this journey all the way to General Washington and They begin to have this conversation. He begins to petition for his enemy, Michael Whitman, to be pardoned. This is what General Washington said to his friend, Pastor Miller. He said, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, said the pastor, he's not my friend. In fact, he is the bitterest enemy I have. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts this in a different light. I'll grant you your pardon. So on the way home, Miller, the pastor, and his nemesis walked the 70 miles together. They were enemies when they started, but when they arrived home, they were friends. Aren't you so grateful? That this one called Christ, Messiah, Jesus, left the glory of heaven to travel all this way to pay the penalty of your sin and mine. 
For, for the Bible says that God has demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Wow. We've been reconciled, though enemies, how much more now will we be reconciled? Shall we be saved by His life? Paul is thankful for the love that these saints have for one another. He's thankful for the faith that they have in Christ. Yeah, the object of their faith is Christ. And the object of their love was one another. (laughs) And he was thankful to God for hearing about this from his servant Epaphras. Number three, here's the third reason why Paul is thankful and why we should be thankful to God in heaven for his church. Number three, uh, the church are people in whom hope looks ahead. You see the word hope. So we've looked at faith. We've looked at love, and now we have hope. Now, hope is a little different from faith and love. Faith we put in a person, love we have for one another, but hope is not this subjective experience that we have. Hope is an objective reality. It is laid up for us in heaven. It's not a hope-so hope. It's a no-so hope. We know it is a confident assurance that God keeps His promises. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that seals us for our inheritance that is coming, that that is laid up, stored up for us in heaven. It's laid up already. Heaven is a real place. It's a real place where we really go that the Lord has really prepared for us. You ever find yourself watching regular TV and a commercial comes on and you look for the skip ad button? That ever happened to you? Maybe watching too much YouTube, huh? Well, how do, how do, we, how do we engage the news that we hear without losing hope? You ever think about that? Man, we hear all craziness, don't we? Madness! I heard this week that the first case of flurona flu and coronavirus all at the same time boy that can't be fun huh both of them the first case in hamilton county flurona i guess that's the next thing that we have to deal with but you you hear all this and, and and it's hard not to lose hope how do we engage the news without losing hope well i want to challenge you in a couple of ways first of all just because somebody, just because it's on the news doesn't make it newsworthy. And just because it's not on the news doesn't mean it's not newsworthy. Take a little control back, believer. Because our hope, we don't, hope means we don't see things as they are or as they are presented to us, but we see things as we are in Christ. We are in Him. And we have an eternal perspective that is totally different from this world. Totally different. Hope is not what we see. Hope is how we see what we see. Through the eternal perspective. It's laid up for us in heaven. What does that mean? It means it's not laid up for us in a bank vault somewhere. Or a safe somewhere. Or in property somewhere. Or in prosperity on the earth. It has nothing to do with an economy on earth. Nothing to do. It it is laid up for us in heaven. Secure forever in heaven. And that should encourage us. 
to have some balance in our life, have some rhythm in your life, you're going to hear all this bad news. That's all you're going to hear from the media. But look for redemptive news. Do you know that you are 500 times less, you have a 500 times less chance of dying a violent death today than you did in the Middle Ages? Hey, that's good news, isn't it? I'm certainly grateful for that. I hope you are. Right? There's redemptive news everywhere. What the media wants you to hear, they tell you. So you have to look at it through hope, through this idea that here, read this newspaper every day. Right? Here's the news. God knows it, and he's told us what's going to happen. So focus on him, this hope. It looks ahead. It doesn't focus on the now. Faith is important because it looks at the past. It looks to the cross of Calvary and what God did for us. Love is in the present. It's working. We're loving each other. But hope is in the future. Hope looks ahead. Faith looks upward. Love looks outward to others. Hope looks forward, anticipating the future. And we know what God has for us. Jim Elliott was a missionary martyred. January the 8th, 19, I believe it was 1956. It might have been 57, but I think it was 1956. Him and several other missionaries were martyred and here in Ecuador. Here's what Jim Elliott said. You've heard this many times. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can't lose what is stored up for us in heaven. We can't. It's our confident assurance in what is to come. And so you have these three. You have faith, hope, love. Faith, love, hope. The greatest of these, Paul says, is love. Why is the greatest love? Because in heaven you don't need faith anymore. Because you're there. You're seeing it. In heaven you don't need hope anymore. Because you're there. All that remains is love. Our love for the Lamb of God who was slain until the, before the foundation of the world. Our love for God. Our love for each other. Paul is so thankful to God in heaven for the faith, love, and hope that he sees in the church on earth. Number four. Number four, Paul is thankful. This is in verse number five and verse number six. Paul is thankful for the grace of God. God's grace atones. That, that the people who make up the church are those in whom God's grace is working. God's grace is atoning. You, you are saved. You're being saved. You will be saved. God's grace is at work. See, if your view of God is small, you'll wonder why there can't be many ways to Him. If your view of God is big, you'll marvel that there's any way to Him at all. That's what grace is all about. That's what grace is all about. God does everything necessary. He's already done it for you and I to be saved. It has nothing to do with you and me. In other words... When you heard the gospel and you believed, if you're in Christ now, if you, whenever you heard the gospel and you believed, here's what happened. You didn't believe because you were smarter. You didn't believe because you were righteous. You didn't believe because you were privileged. You believed because God intervened. He opened your heart. He allowed you to hear the gospel, believe it, and embrace Christ as your Savior. That's grace. God's grace atones in the believer. Here's how Paul says it in verse 5. Because of this hope laid up for us in heaven, look at this. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. You've heard this. Faith comes from hearing. You've heard this. What is the gospel? Paul says the gospel is Christ died 
for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and He was raised to life according to the Scriptures. That's the truth. That's the word of truth. That's the gospel. You know this, Paul says. You've heard this. So contrary to what these teachers are telling you, that it is Jesus plus something equals salvation, the gospel says it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Nothing. And notice what it says. This gospel has come to you, verse 6. It has come to you as indeed in the whole world. In other words, Paul says this gospel, this truth is not only local, it's global. It's bearing fruit. It's growing. The gospel came to you, ma'am. The gospel came to you, sir, because the gospel's going to somebody else. It's not imprisoned. It's not in chains. It's not quarantined. Paul's in prison as he's writing this, but the gospel can't be imprisoned. It can't be chained. It can't be quarantined. It's growing right now. It's bearing fruit around the world right now. How, how and why is it doing that? Look at this. So it is also among you since the day you heard it, verse number 6, and understood the grace of God. The grace of God. This is why this is happening. The unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. You know what justice is? You get what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. But grace is you get what you don't deserve. Listen, you deserve hell. I deserve hell. But God gives us heaven. Oh, we we deserve death. But God gives us life. We deserve to be forgotten. But God gives us forgiveness. This is grace. We deserve darkness. He gives us light. It's what He has done. Grace of God given to you and to me. See, Adam and Eve, they walked out of the garden into a grave. Christ and His bride walk out of the grave into a garden. God's going to reverse this whole thing. It's grace. It's what He has done. It's what He's doing. And Paul is thankful that the church is where we see this on display. Love, faith, hope, and grace all on display. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the last one, number five. Why is Paul so thankful? Love, faith, hope, grace. Here's the fifth one. The church are made up of people who are not ashamed. Not ashamed. Not ashamed of him. Not ashamed of each other. Not ashamed of the church. A lot of people throwing rotten eggs at the church. A lot of people giving the church a hard time. Hey, the Lord Jesus loves his church. He died for his church. He's coming back for his church. Amen, church? You know, I I don't know about you, but I was cold this week. Anybody cold this week? Was it cold to you a little bit? I'm telling you, my bones were cold. Listen, it it was colder than a nursery worker's stare after a 60-minute sermon. It was cold. And I'm so thankful for nursery workers. I'm so thankful for the servants of Christ in his church. For you who were served, I'm so thankful. Man, Paul says, listen, we ought to be thankful for the people 
who make up the church. For their love, their faith, their grace, their hope, yes. But then he names Epaphras here in verse 7 and 8. You learn this from a person. From a person who heard the gospel. The gospel changed Epaphras. And then he shared the gospel with someone else. And they shared the gospel with someone else. And they shared the gospel with someone else. We call them gospel conversations. We want to point people to Christ one conversation at a time. You see, we've unloaded our display of ping pong balls. We're ready for the next year and for the new year. And our goal this year is 2,022 gospel conversations. A gospel conversation is a conversation whereby the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is presented and an invitation to trust in Christ alone is extended. So we want you to go, present the gospel, extend an invitation with people you already know in your life, at work, at school, at home, wherever you are. And then we want to hear about that. We want you to record them. What we have on our website where you can share your conversation. You can tell us all about I did it this morning. It took me less than a minute. doesn't take long. I want you to drop a ping pong ball in the display. Let's go get them. Let's let this gospel not only stop with us, but it came to us because it's going to someone else. Tanya and I are excited about this year. I, I can't tell you how much we love the local church. I'm so thankful for the doors that God opens that we're not strong enough to open. I, I want to tell you, before I ever knew about Red Bank Baptist Church, before I knew Chattanooga was so glorious, 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. I came here in 2012. There was a church that I thought God wanted me to be at, and so I wanted to be at it. And i got to tell you, it was heartbreaking to learn that they had called somebody else. It wasn't me. This was 2009. And I'm so grateful. I'm as grateful for the doors God opens that we're not strong enough to open, as I am for the doors that God closes that we're not strong enough to close. <laughs> I'm so thankful that he's in control. And I love the local church. I couldn't imagine doing anything else in all my life than being the pastor of Red Bank Baptist Church and the Point Church. It's a blessing. Tony and I love being here and we love you. I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're married and you want to come on our marriage retreat, we'd love to have you. There's still room left. There, we're running out of spots, but we have some left. So I want to encourage you to either text marriage to 79969. We'll have a great time in Gatlinburg together in March. Uh, come and join us. Uh, you can go to the website and find it on the bridge even and find out how to register for that. Bro, I was talking to Brad the other day. He was telling me about choir practice the other night. I'm convinced, Brad, I don't know about you, but I'm convinced. If you want to know what heaven's like, join the choir, right? Amen. Is that right? <laughs> you don't know what heaven's like, join the choir. Because that's what we'll be doing. Worshiping forever, throwing our crowns down at his feet, man. I, I, he was telling me about something that happened last week in choir. They had a few new people come, new members come, and some of the other members that saw these new members after choir practice, they went over there and they started encouraging them and say, hey, you're going to be here this week and let me show you this, let me show you that. It's just the church loving on each other. That's why I get so excited about the local church. We come from different backgrounds. We're different uh, demographics. We're different age, different generation. But yet we're the church. And we have faith in Christ. We have love for one another. We have a hope that lasts forever.
laid up for us in heaven. We have the grace of God that, that is continually changing us and working in us and through us. And we are unashamed of one another. We're unashamed of Christ. We're unashamed of the truth. And we're unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the Bible. I will unapologetically preach the truth of the gospel until God takes me home. And you as well need to be unapologetic about sharing this truth until God takes you home. Truth. Not all these lies we hear, but truth. So this week, I want to challenge you this week. Here's the challenge for the week. I want you to think about ways, reasons why you're thankful to God in heaven for His church on earth. And I want you to write them down. And I want you to put them out on social media. And I want you to mail them to somebody in a card or send a text or make a phone call. And just tell, hey, this is why I'm thankful to God for His church. Do that this week. Some of you are here today, either in person or online, and you've heard the gospel many, many times. And you've yet to believe. Again today, you've heard the gospel. That Jesus has come and take... He's he's decided, because He loved you so much, to take your place and die on on a wooden cross to have His blood spilled out for you. To do for you what you could not do for yourself. He died, he was buried, raised to life. You've heard this. And any who believe in him, believe in the Lord Jesus, believe in the Savior and you'll be saved. And you've yet to do that. Well, I'm inviting you to do that today. I want to invite you to put your faith alone in Christ alone. We're going to stand in a moment and we're going to pray in that way. Some of you may have been visiting for a while, but you've not joined the church. Man, one way you can show you're thankful for the church is commit to her. Commit to the church. Join the church. Get, get into a life group. Maybe that's your next step. Get into a small group, an E3 group. Find a place of service. Answer the call to ministry. What is it that the Holy Spirit is calling you to commit to? Hey, church, let's be thankful for our Abba Father because of his assembling of the church on earth. Let's be thankful to the builder of the church in heaven for building his church on earth. Let's be thankful for the mediator in heaven between God and man for mediating between God and man on earth. Praise God for that. Let's be thankful to the founder and finisher of our faith for those folks on earth who are fighting this fight of faith and they're faithful in it. Let's be thankful to God for that. Would you stand with me, church?